Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler. Today, my guest is Lala Jackson. Lala is a chronic illness author, speaker, and advocate. She's the author of the internationally best-selling ebook, Beyond Powerful, Your Chronic Illness is Not Your Kryptonite, which delves into the superpowers gained from a life with chronic illness. At the age of 10, Lala was diagnosed with the autoimmune disease type 1 diabetes. She immediately jumped into advocacy and has met with numerous representatives and senators to speak on behalf of the rights of people living with chronic disease. She earned a BS in communications from the University of Miami in Florida, then went on to study federal healthcare policy and management at Georgia State University. She works with a major type 1 diabetes nonprofit headquartered in New York City, is an active healthcare advocate, and a candid writer about healthcare policy, particularly as it affects those with chronic conditions. In addition to issues surrounding chronic illness, Lala writes and speaks about relationships, leadership, wellness, and many topics fellow women millennial leaders deal with in their work and personal lives. Welcome, Lala. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You were only 10 years old when you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Did you know at that age what that really meant? Absolutely not. And I don't think there's any way a 10-year-old could. You know, I, I knew that I was sick. I was horribly sick for months. And my mom kept taking me to doctors and they weren't testing the right things. So they would just send me home. And so when I was diagnosed, I knew that I felt better, which was actually really exciting for me as a 10-year-old. I wanted to be able to go back outside and run around with my friends and play. And I had been so exhausted and so sick for so long that being diagnosed was kind of a good thing for me. And I didn't understand because I didn't have the you know worldview or life view at the time of just how impactful a chronic lifelong illness was. My mom certainly knew. I talked to her now and she she knows how scary knew how scary it was. But at the time I was just a little kid and it was a new adventure and something new to take on. Yeah, that's interesting. So you just felt better knowing what what was wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how did your parents react? Does anyone else in your family have something like this? No, I was the first one. And back when I was diagnosed, it was 1997. And they thought that type 1 diabetes was genetic. And so they thought that there had to be someone in your family who had it. And their understanding of the disease has changed a lot. Now they're realizing that it's due to an autoimmune flare that could be environmental or anything like that. And they, they've kind of understood better now that they really don't understand it as much as they thought that they did. And so I was the first one in my family with it. I came from a med- very medically based family. My grandfather was a heart surgeon. And so there's all these doctors and nurses around me trying to figure out how to help me. But at the end of the day, you know, my mom is a mom and she was scared and she didn't know how to help. 
And she's told me a story since where she went to the grocery store the day after I was diagnosed and was trying to buy food that I could eat and had no idea what I could eat. She knew that I had to give myself insulin now, but we didn't know what that meant or what counting carbs meant or anything. And she said that she stood in the aisles just crying and feeling crazy for being the crying woman in the grocery store, but Aww. she didn't know what to do. Um, so I, I have to give so much credit to my mom because she really was the one to take care of my condition when I was first diagnosed. I was, you know, a little kid who needed help. And she was the one who stepped in and did it all for me. And my older brother learned how to give me shots and all that because I hated giving myself shots. Oh um, so they were really the ones that stepped in and did it and understood the impact, but never really wanted to show me how scared they were because they didn't want me to be scared. Mm. We hear a lot about diabetes. It's kind of all over the TV with, you know, these home blood testing kits mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. But there are different kinds, mm -hmm. aren't there? So Absolutely. tell us, what what is type 1 diabetes and how is that different than maybe what people think of or hear about in those commercials on TV? Yeah, absolutely. There's probably about 300 million people worldwide and about 25 million people in the U.S. who have diabetes in general, so any kind of diabetes. And typically, when you hear about diabetes, people are talking about type 2 diabetes. About 95% of people who live with any kind of diabetes have type 2, and that's the kind that's more related to diet and exercise, specifically related to a type of fat that you carry in your abdomen that kind of comes on with age or with not having proper diet and exercise or could be genetic. And it affects how insulin absorbs and therefore how your body creates insulin because it doesn't think you need it if you're not absorbing the right amount. So it's kind of a, you know, metabolic, that world uh, of disease. Type 1, which only about 1.25 million Americans have, is purely autoimmune. So basically what happened is when I was, you know, 9 or 10, my immune system started turning on me. And it's for some reason, saw my pancreas and the beta cells that it was creating as a foreign object and thought it was doing me a favor by attacking those cells and killing them off. So all of a sudden, my body couldn't make insulin anymore because my body itself had killed those parts of my cells. So there was nothing I could do to prevent it. Uh, there's nothing I can do to reverse it. Diet and exercise won't change the fact that I have type 1 diabetes. And at this point, there is no cure. And that's scientists are working on. So uh, when people say, you know, oh, I reversed my diabetes or I healed it with diet and exercise, they're talking about type 2, which is okay. a very different disease. They just have the same name because they both have to deal with blood sugar regulation and insulin. Mm. Okay. So how are you managing this disease? What do you need to think about or be aware of that the average person not living with chronic disease might not have to consider? Oof, that's a, a heavier question than probably intended. It's because this is a disease that will never, ever go away. It is always in the back of my head. And I'm so fortunate because I have so much technology to help me out. When I first got diagnosed, I took shots and I checked my blood sugar with a finger pick, you know, up to 10 times a day. And it was very manual. And that's what 99.9% .9 of people living with type 1 diabetes still do to this day. So it's a lot of uh, thought, a lot of calculations in your head. Anything you consume, you have to count the carbohydrates and the protein. 
and then calculate in your head how much insulin to give yourself because this is all stuff that a healthy person's body does automatically, but we're doing it all in our head. And everything affects blood sugar. And if your blood sugar goes too low, so you don't have enough fuel in your system to keep your body running, your central nervous system will start to shut down. And that happens to me two or three times a day. And if your blood sugar goes, yeah, it's, it's affected by heat. It's affected by exercise. It's affected by stress. It's affected by the type of food I'm eating, my schedule. Uh, it's, it's all affected by so much. And so all day, every day, when I'm awake, when I'm sleeping, there's this constant dance of trying to balance everything. Because, of course, insulin regulates the food you eat into fuel for your body. And if at any given point you have too much fuel in your system, it's kind of like giving, it's when they say you have high blood sugar. You're just running on sludge, basically, and your body will start to shut down from that. But then if you have no fuel in your system, your body will start shut out, shut down from that. Um, right. So it's, it's a constant dance, and I'm never not thinking about it to the point that it's become such a regular thing that I'm not thinking about it, that it's normal. It, it's, it's weird. It's hard to describe, but it's mm-hmm. always in my mind. So you were just 10 years old. But you must have had dreams of what your life would be like as an adult already. How did this diagnosis influence your thoughts about your future? Luckily, it didn't when I was 10. I have always been a stubborn, precocious, indignant kid. And that's probably stuck with me into my adulthood. Uh, But when I was little, I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to be a Disney character voice actress And I wanted to start a homeless, I want to do so many things. And I had an amazing endocrinologist, a diabetes doctor when I was first diagnosed. His name was Dr. Gad Clutter at Seattle Children's Hospital. And I had a outdoor snowshoeing trip the weekend after I was diagnosed that I was scheduled to go on. And of course, my mom was terrified to send me into the backwoods at, Mm -hmm. you know, Storm Call Me Pass outside of Seattle. And he said, absolutely, she has to go because she has to know that she can do anything she would have done before. And so Ah. they sent me on this trip and I was fine. And I had already learned how to check my blood sugar. So I was checking my blood sugar every hour and had all these snacks in case my blood sugar went low from the exercise. And my teachers were keeping an eye on me. And I was fine. And I really think that set the tone for knowing that I could do anything I wanted to do. You know, later in life, other stuff popped up that, uh, you know, really threw me for a loop when I realized that type 1 diabetes did have an effect on what I was doing. But at the time, my dreams were just as big and just as varied as they ever were. And I never saw type 1 as something that would limit me, which I think I'm really lucky for. Yeah, that's really awesome that you had that type of support and and Mm -hmm. that type of mindset around you that was, Mm -hmm. oh, no, this can't limit her. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that it doesn't. Absolutely. And not everyone has that. So I know that that's really unique. I've heard horror stories otherwise. So I'm so glad that I had my experience. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in your blog, you also mentioned having fibromyalgia. Yeah. What is that? And is it separate from or related to your type 1 diabetes? Yeah, fibromyalgia is basically a disease characterized by widespread pain. Um, So other symptoms include insomnia and joint pain, muscle pain, brain fog, um, 
just lots of issues. Basically, it's a catch-all disease when you can't find anything else causing pain and insomnia and all those types of things. And the way I see it is, you know, people will ask if it's related to the type one and not technically, but I see my body as a system that struggles with inflammation and autoimmune issues. So if we kind of take the lens up, having all those issues with inflammation and autoimmune stuff is what caused the type one diabetes and what caused the fibromyalgia. Um, I also probably have celiac disease, which is often tied with type one diabetes. So I can't have gluten um, and just other stuff that's all within this umbrella of autoimmune and inflammation stuff, but it's mm-hmm. not technically tied to each other laterally. Got it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the chemistry. Yeah. Going on in your struggles. body. Yeah. <laughs> I'd help it out as much as possible, but all the things that I do to try to take care of my type one diabetes, so eat really well and exercise that all helps the fibromyalgia as well. And just helps my system function as best as it can. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got to take a short break. When we come back, your chronic illness is not your kryptonite. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. Are you ready to rise up and share all your greatness to the world? Stop playing small and settling for mediocrity? If so, then you need to join us at our eWomen Network Entrepreneur Conference and Business Expo in Dallas this year, August 3rd through the 5th. There will be hundreds of women entrepreneurs from all over the world waiting to meet you to share knowledge, wisdom, and even partnerships. Get ready to be coached by me and learn from other multi-million dollar speakers who will teach, inspire, motivate, and guide you to transform your thinking from small to big. And you can't beat the food and fun at our Saturday night dance party either. Look, no one makes it alone, so it's time to stop trying to be the COE, chief of everything, and step into your role as CEO. There is nothing like the eWomen Network Conference to bring out your genius and help you take action on living your dream. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and my guest today is Lala Jackson. Lala, you wrote an international best-selling book called Beyond Powerful, Your Chronic Illness is Not Your Kryptonite. That's a great title, but what you've been describing to me sure sounds like kryptonite. (laughs) How did you Um, come up with this title, and what is it? I mean, I guess I know what you're trying to tell people, but, but tell me about the book. Yeah, I actually had to work with a brand name uh, strategist and coach to come up with the title because I was at a loss. My original book, it was kind of a meandering way that I ended up writing about what I wrote about. I wanted to write about bravery, particularly as it related to women leaders and how much we have to use courage to move ourselves forward in all aspects of our life. And I was writing it. And at the time that I was writing it is right around when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And so I was feeling horrible and sick. And I was on this writing timeline that I was just struggling to keep up with. And I kind of realized that I was full of it because I wasn't talking about the thing that was actually affecting my life at that time. Mm -hmm. And so the, the 
book shifted a bit. And it's really about, you know, recognizing that there will absolutely be times if you live with a chronic illness that it will wipe you out. And that is heartbreaking when you want to run at your goals and you want to be able to keep up with all of these plans you have, but your body has other plans for you. And it's so frustrating. But what I posit is that these things that we live with and these challenges we face actually teach us so much more than we ever could have learned otherwise. So living with type 1 diabetes, it has really taught me how to use my voice to be an advocate for others. It's taught me how to stand up for myself, be it in front of doctors that I'm not agreeing with or in work situations or anywhere else. It's taught me to delegate and say no when I don't want to do things because my energy just, I don't have enough of it to spread myself thin. I don't have the luxury to mess up there. And so I really talk about how, you know, as much as your chronic illness will always be a part of your life, it doesn't have to be the thing that takes you out permanently. There will always be ways that you can change your approach to something or ways that you can change your environment that you can still get done what you want to do within the parameters that you have to set yourself, but it doesn't have to limit you. Mm-hmm. So I go into that. I'm sure this will be good news to a lot of people because I would imagine that when you receive a diagnosis of a chronic illness like that, whether it's type 1 diabetes or fibromyalgia or any other number of things that that can happen to people, it probably kind of knocks you down. Mm-hmm. And I would think that the first thing, if you're not 10 years old, um, mm-hmm. that you might think is, wow, all of those things I really wanted to do, now I'm not sure I can. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds very inspirational. And you're saying that there are actually superpowers to be gained from Absolutely. living with chronic illness. Explain yeah. that. I have to say, I know a, a truly staggering amount of young women in particular who live with chronic illnesses and yet do so much. And I'm constantly impressed with what they're doing in their professional lives and their personal lives and what great parents they are and what great leaders they are. And it's so cool to watch. And they're doing that despite the heartbreak that they probably got hit with when they got hit with the diagnosis. I was talking to a young woman the other day. She uh, direct messaged me on Instagram saying that she was just diagnosed with fibromyalgia three weeks ago, and she was at such a loss of what to do. She was asking all these questions about how she should expect her life to be completely different. And, you know, I was kind of trying to coach her along because I knew she was in a place of just being really scared because that thought that you're never going to get better is so debilitating that, you know, even if you feel better one day, you'll always be sick. So why try can be overwhelming sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I told her, you know, at the start, yeah, it was really hard trying to get everything under control with a fibromyalgia diagnosis. It was uh, almost like a period of mourning that I had to go through that, okay, my life is going to have to be different now. I'm going to have to set different priorities. But those are things that I know people well into their 50s, 60s, and 70s never learn if they hadn't had to go through that kind of health crisis. 
And so, you know, I've been to business training courses and things like that, where they're teaching you, you know, you really have to learn to delegate your time. It's like, well, I had to learn that when I was 11. So should I? <laughs> right. And it, it's impressive just how much you learn by having to be, you know, the boss of your own body and all those things that you can then take and apply to other facets of your life. So, you know, I was saying I can be my own advocate, but I'm also ridiculously organized because I know I have set amounts of time during the day where I have to eat or I have to do something to take care of my body and everything else that I want to do has to fit within that schedule. So I become a little bit extra with just how much I plan everything, but that's such a vital skill. And that's something that a lot of people never learn. So it's this whole idea of this thing did happen to you, but it also could have happened for you. And you can take the lessons learned from this not so great thing and apply them to other great things that you want to do with your life. Absolutely. I love that. Reframe it. It helps yeah. you to laser focus on what's important, right? Absolutely. Definitely. Now, you studied federal healthcare policy and management, and you're an yes. active advocate for and candid writer about healthcare policy, particularly as it affects those with chronic conditions. What do you make of what's going on with Congress and Obamacare right now? I spend a lot of time very angrily ranting to myself at home. Um, <laughs> that's basically been my constant state. I uh, was in the very terrifying, honestly, position that when I graduated from college, it was before the Affordable Care Act was in place. And so it was not possible to get health insurance as a person with a pre-existing condition unless it was provided by your employer. Now, I graduated in 2009, which if anyone remembers, was a time when there was no jobs. Everyone was on a hiring freeze because the yeah. economy had just taken a major crash. And so I could get internships and I could get work experience, but I couldn't get hired for anything that offered benefits. So for 13 months, I did not have health insurance and I could not get it. We, there was no amount of money that we could have thrown at any company that would have covered me. And so I was paying everything out of pocket. I didn't have any constant health care. I ended up in the ER a couple times. I almost died a few times. And that's not just me being dramatic. That's just life with a chronic disease when you don't have health care. And it's mm -hmm. so scary. And so luckily, I was able to get coverage through work. And then during different periods of time in my life when I didn't have work provided health insurance, I was able to go to healthcare.gov and get plans that were actually less expensive than what I was paying through work and got better coverage. And so as many stories as there are that, yes, the ACA Obamacare isn't perfect by any means. It was certainly a massive band-aid for people with pre-existing conditions and people living with chronic illnesses. So of course I'm watching the healthcare debate now and them trying to take away protections for people with pre-existing conditions and take away protections for people living with chronic illnesses. And it's infuriating because the people who have chronic illness aren't allowed to be in the room making those decisions. And it's so frustrating to watch. So that's my, oh, my daily ranting. Yep. Well, you know, my, my premiums have gone up as has my deductible with Obamacare. And I'm a very uh, healthy person. I don't have a chronic illness. I go to the doctor mm -hmm. once a year, maybe. Um, so, so it's cer certainly not perfect, but I just got mm -hmm. a, a letter from my insurance company saying that uh, they're no longer going to be writing individual policies. 
So I may not be able to get healthcare either. Oh, <laughs> Next year. It's so frustrating. It, it's, it's frustrating. I, I, uh, I do a lot of research on other countries' healthcare plans because I think obviously ours doesn't work in no iteration that we've had in the last couple decades. And so I, I look to other countries' systems, and it's just, it's interesting how incredibly complicated we've made it. And we've really dug our own hole in the United States around mm-hmm. just how many parts and pieces we have moving. And so sometimes I'm just like, we need to just burn it all to the ground and start over. Um, but of course, then that leaves millions of people in a lurch without coverage. And so we can't just burn it all down and start over. We have to find solutions for people that work. And solutions for people that aren't, you know, making them pay their entire salary into their healthcare coverage, because that's certainly not feasible for anyone. Um, but it's, it's just really frustrating when people who aren't affected by issues are the ones making the decisions for everyone. Like the fact that women weren't involved in writing the last iteration of the healthcare bill they're trying to put through, even though it so heavily affects women's bodies, is just so horrible to look at um and when you don't have the people in the room that are living these experiences of course you can't get proper proper advocacy and coverage for them and so we need people we need women we need people who are affected by chronic illnesses we need people who live with disabilities to be in the rooms with the decision makers creating the policy so that it actually works for people and that's not what what's happening at all no, it's not. And well, my proposal is that Congress should have to live under the health care rules that they pass I mean, for everyone else, because, of course, they get the Cadillac plan paid for for them and their families. So, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't affect them. No, but, sitting in that pace of privilege does not offer a lot of um, compassion for the people who don't get it. No, it certainly doesn't. So we're we're going to start running out of time. So I have to ask you. What is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to people? I was thinking about this question so much after you warned me that I would need to get an answer ready. And I wanted to have some sort of magical, this was the 100 pages that I read and changed, it changed my life. But the actual answer is I have always lived in a world of fiction since I was really little. Books were always my escape. And when I was, First diagnosed, I probably read about three or four books a week. And since then, even on to my adulthood, whenever I'm going through anything major, I have always turned to books with strong women leaders within them. And I broke my ankle really badly a couple of years ago and ended up reading Hunger Games while I was going through physical therapy. And it's like, if Miss Pepperdine can do this, then I can do it too. And, you know, Hermione Granger and Harry Potter and Katza and the Graceling and all of these really amazing women characters have always been the ones that I've turned to for courage. And it sounds silly because they're fictional, but it's almost always women writers writing these characters. And so they're pulling on real people and they're pulling on real experiences. And I think being around and hearing stories and reading stories of fellow women who are courageous and brave and, you know, just run towards situations that they don't necessarily want to be in, but they know that they can handle, I think is really inspiring. And so that would be my resource of, you know, when you need to escape because life is overwhelming, 
turn to the things that really lift you up and turn to the things that give you courage. And that's what's always been the most helpful for me. Yeah, I agree with you. I've always, you know, I grew up reading. That was my sort of window on the world. And I think that it really is so important. Um, And I remember I was going through a fairly, you know, not as rough as as yours, maybe, but a little bit of a rough patch. And Mm -hmm. I did, I read through all the Harry Potter books. (laughs) And it was exactly, it was brilliant, because it really, it does in a, in a, and you're right, it's fiction. But at the same time, you know, it's a story that you can relate to and see, you know, the, the, points that she's trying to make and the inspiration that she's trying to provide uh, within that story. And um, yeah, strong women writers, strong women leaders, courageous and brave. I love it. Absolutely. So your book, Beyond Powerful, has been available in ebook format on Amazon since September 2016. But it's going to be available soon as an actual printed book and in other formats in September. Is that right? Yes. And I'm so excited. It, uh, like you said, it came out in ebook last year and then it was able to go through a larger publisher for print. So it will be out in print at every major bookseller, uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all of that on September 19th, 2017. And it will be available for pre-orders starting in August. So you can order it online to a local store, or you can just order online to have it shipped to you in September. And I'm just so excited that it will be able to be in the hands of more people. You can get more information at beyondpowerfulbook.com. Yeah, I'm excited too, because from how you've described it, uh, I think that even people who don't have chronic illness could certainly get something from it. Uh, because it does sound like it's about being courageous and brave in the face of obstacles that you might encounter. Yeah, I've definitely gotten that feedback from people, which has been you know, incredibly humbling that people have been able to take so much from it. And then I've also had um, some people read it who are doctors themselves or who are educators and encounter a lot of people living with chronic illness, and they seem to take a lot from it too. So anytime that I can help be a voice for people living with chronic conditions, I think that's really fantastic and the more people reading it the more people we can help who live with these conditions well you are really transparent about your own health struggles in your blog and i know that you write elsewhere too if people want to read either about your health struggles or some of the other things that you've written um and fill out the dreaded pop-up i love that (laughs) you have that on your website it's the dreaded pop-up uh to get ongoing information, where do they find all of that? Yeah, you can go to lalajackson.com. So it's L-A-L-A jackson.com. I have a page on there. It's under the What I Write tab that includes everything that I write about. And it also includes the other platforms that I write on. I have some articles over on The Mighty and Lifebulb and a couple other places. And transparent is definitely the word for it. I say that transparency is the particular superpower that I've really gained from a life with chronic illness, because not only does it help me just get things off my chest and process things, but I find that the more transparent I get, the more I realize that we've all been through such similar situations and we can turn to each other for strength and we can turn to each other for processing all of it. So there's some pretty intense stuff that I've written about on lalajackson.com and 
Um, I, I definitely pull back the curtain a lot, but I've gotten some really amazing feedback from other people who've gone through similar things. And it's nice to have been able to create that community. Well, it's so important to know that you're not alone yeah. and that someone else has been there before you and has bravely gone through it and you can learn from that and that there's support out there and you don't have to go it alone. So Absolutely. thank you for sharing and being transparent. <laughs> I think that's really important. Thank you. So do you have anything else in the works? Another book maybe or? I have been trying to uh, pull the reins back on myself to not start writing that book about bravery and women. Um, but of course I want to so badly, but I know that I have a million marketing tasks that I need to do for my current project. So I'm making myself wait, but that will end up being the next book once I allow myself to start working on it. Cause I'm just really fascinated by just how courageous women are. I don't know what it is about us, but we are so resilient and so brave and we tackle so much. And there are so many amazing stories out there of uh, women who are just taking on the world and doing it well. And, you know, we all struggle through so much, but we all, uh, you know, work through it all and we all figure out how to make it happen. My mom's favorite phrase is everything is figure outable. And <laughs> I think that we have a tremendous capacity to do just that, figure things out and keep moving. And I think it's all based on just how courageous we are. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you'd like people with chronic illness or people without chronic illness to know about redefining success in their lives? I think the most important thing is knowing that success really is how you define it and it comes down to you you know your version of success doesn't have to be anyone else's version and you get to make the rules here because it's your life and you get to say how you want to do it and how you want to accomplish all of it and really at the end of the day i think we are all so much stronger than we think we are we just have to give ourselves credit for it so remember that you're strong and remember that you're brave and remember that you make your own rules Brilliant. Lala Jackson, good luck with the book. And thank, thank you, you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. At this point, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen or not with healthcare. We can all hope they come up with something that's in the best interests of the American people, including those with pre-existing conditions and chronic disease and entrepreneurs and others who need access to individual plans. If you have something to add to the discussion, please leave a comment on the show page or on my First Class Life Solutions Facebook page. If you're looking for Lala's book or her recommendations, you'll find those as well as the recommendations of past guests on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com. Next week, my guest will be Christine Kozachuk. Christine has a heart that tells a story, and that story, which includes childhood poverty, setbacks, and triumphs, has affected her business mindset and her personal goals. She has owned multiple successful businesses, including RC Mobile Truck Repair Services for over 20 years, and successfully opened and operated a fitness studio, Pink Ice Ladies Fitness, in which she not only ran the business, but instructed and encouraged every client. 
Apart from being a powerful public speaker, Christine has been the managing director of Charlotte's eWomen Network Group for over two years. After making the heartfelt decision to delve further into her passion for public motivation and speaking, Christine has found a new direction and positive purpose that she can't wait to share with others to help them heal and grow in their own lives. Whether you are at the end of your rope or have already let go and landed in a place you feel you can't get out, Christine will have you believing one thing. You can. I hope you'll join us. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.